Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So, if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So, if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So, let's get started. So on schedule today, we're reading Psalm 51. So uh, this uh, we're back to this being a song, Psalm of David. Now, this psalm, uh, according to Dr. McGee, is probably, he calls it a confession of the ages. This is one of the most famous uh, psalms uh, that David uh, wrote and because it outlines, it's intensely personal. This outlines his plea, his cry of forgiveness when he sinned, when he committed this his big sin. And uh, just before we jump in, I'll give you a little background. Uh, you know, David, you know, at the height of his, of his kingdom uh, and his, you know, uh, his victories, he uh, sort of uh, started lusting after the wife of one of his commanders. Now, this commander was Uriah. He was a real loyal commander, and his wife was Bathsheba. So David uh, lusted after her, fell in love with her, and and while Uriah was on the battlefield, he um, slept with uh, Bathsheba and um, he was in sin. And so to try to cover up his sin, he... Um, directed uh, his commander, Uriah, several times to, um, well, he tried to cover it up once he invited him back and and said, you know what, uh, um, uh, I wanted you to come back and get off the battlefield, have relations with your wife, because he knew if he did that, uh, Bathsheba was eventually going to have a kid, and then he wanted um uh, he wanted to cover up his sin so they could say it was really Uriah's kid. But Uriah, being so totally loyal, he said, no, 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 I don't want to take away my uh, battle uh, um, mindset. So uh, he he did not lay with his wife. And so then he goes back to the battlefield, and David's going, golly, what do I do now? And so David still had so much sin in his heart, even in the even in the face of such a loyal commander. So several times David had opportunities to try to right his ways, but he didn't. So he end up he ended up the only thing he could figure out to do was to send Uriah to a part of the battlefield that was the worst, you know, where uh, his troops weren't there as much. And then he said, "When you get out there to this point, uh, I want you to pull back." So they did that, and they basically left Uriah to be captured and killed. 
So basically, he had Uriah murdered. So he broke, you know, some of the laws of Moses. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's what David did. And thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder. And that's, uh, so he, he basically took actions that Uriah would be murdered. So, so David thought he got away with it. And so this psalm uh, is just before he gets, uh, or just after he gets exposed. So what happens to him? And again, I'm just giving you background now. And, and I'm going to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I'm going to read really fast 1 through 13. I'm going to try to get through that really fast to give you that background. Because uh, it's a story sometimes you don't get told a lot. So uh, David's doing his thing. Uriah's been murdered. He's having an adulterous, adulterous relationship with Uriah's wife. And now he's figured out he can kind of cover it up. So Second uh, Samuel uh, verse 12, the Lord sent Nathan. Now Nathan was a, a prophet too. He came to him, he came to David, and he says, he's letting him know there's a problem in the kingdom here. We've got two men in a certain town, one rich, one the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children, and it shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Oh, how this man loved this little uh, lamb. And of course, David being a shepherd, you know, he remembers how much he loved his sheep. So verse four, now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man re- uh, refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for this traveler. And this, remember this rich man has lots of sheep. Uh, so instead he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man and he killed it and prepared it for the one who had come to him. In verse 5, David burned with anger against the man. He said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan, Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Quote, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, and you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judea. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. That's who they were fighting. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but now I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Of course, Nathan then replies, um, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die, but because by doing this you've shown utter contempt for the Lord, uh, the son born to you will die. And of course, that son that was born to David and Bathsheba died. Okay, a lot of quick background. Of course, what happens then after this, um, uh, David's own son, Absalom, 
senses that his father's in sin, is in trouble, and then he tries to hunt his father down and have him killed. And, of course, David now living in caves because his own son is against him. So David's life is all over the place in terms of what's how sin has wrecked his life and his relationship, all kind of people relationships, but this is really focusing on his relationship with the Lord. So that's where we start here in this tremendously powerful psalm, Psalm 51. We're going to jump right in. This is a psalm uh, that deals with asking forgiveness. Verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Well, verse 1 through 3, very personal, starts out, it's David's crying out to the Lord, uh, asking for mercy um, according to God's love and according to the whatever God says, according to God's judgment, God's mercy, God's judgment. David's admitting his guilt. He's not asking for God's game plan. He is not asking for God to do it however God thinks. Um, you know, I mean, we all fall into sin. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. Um, same thing. I mean, if, if we can't relate to this psalm, um, we're not honest because all of us are sinners and all of us fall, all of us make mistakes. So in one uh, regard, this is very instructional for us to look deep into David's heart as to how he's asking uh, God to forgive him. Uh, this is instructional for all the people. David wrote this psalm to be, uh, you know, worshipped on. You know, this is a psalm David writes to be set to music so that people can worship. Now, I don't know how the music goes, but again, this is intensely personal, but also designed to be public. And so... Um, it's not every day that you can say you set your own sin to music and have other people worship your mistakes. Um, but again, this is the heart of David. Um, this is what David wanted to do. Uh, he is the king, theoretically, of Israel, right? Just like all the other kings. And the, all the other kings, when they make mistakes, they probably know it, but they're not going to let the people know. You know, if you start telling the people how bad a king you are, or you, you know, this is scandal. You know, think about it when you're president of whatever country you're living in, or a president, you know, makes a big scandal, makes a big mistake. You know, you run the risk of your political enemies uh, using that on you. Again, this is very um, uh, public. David's now at risk as a leader, as a husband, as a father. I mean, there's a lot of damage that happened in the wake of this kind of sin. And um, he ends up losing his own son, you know. But um, David basically has to accept, David's heart is to accept God's judgment, God's mercy, um, throughout God's love. I mean, God's love sometimes has to be tough love on us. 
But the one thing that, that Dr. McGee points out that David doesn't do is uh, ask to be spared from God's judgment. Um, he doesn't ask it to be done a certain way. Basically, David's heart is 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 uh, pure in the in the sense that he's asking God to do with him what he will. So a lot of times when we pray with a forgiving heart, we have our we we even then sometimes the temptation for us is to to set our own conditions. God, I'm sorry I sinned and I'm sorry I did this, and if if but if I could just get this done, you know my heart is still pure and I want to do it this way, and please let them all forgive me, and we go back to the way it was or something like that. You know, David's not asking to David's not asking for God to forgive him and and restore all the relationships that are going to be broken. He's not asking for that. All he's starting from is to cleanse me. Wash me from my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So verse 4, against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, it's pointing out, and as I was doing a little prep for this, he's not really... um, saying that he's only sinned against God and and he hasn't sinned against other people. Of course, he's sinned against Uriah. I mean, he murdered him, you know, and he didn't, and he's not like, and he, he, obviously he sinned against Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her, all her family, all his family. I mean, a lot of relationships are broken, but but what this points out is this is saying that God is the ultimate judge. And he's speaking in terms of God's law. And uh, so obviously there's a lot of other things going on here. But uh, he sinned against the Lord. And uh, evil, uh, it, the presence of evil is, is uh, the absence of God. You know, without, without God's presence, this is an evil, broken world. And um, so he's talking about now, he's kind of shifting um this is a direct confession to God. Um, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now again, this is not talking about when a woman delivers a child, that's a sinful situation, or when you conceive a child, that's a sinful situation. No, he's just saying man himself, no matter, even from the very beginning of man's birth, um, we're sinners. We're, we're born into sin. It, being a member of the human race, welcome to the family of sinners, of people with a death penalty on their head. So in one regards, a little baby's born, and you say how precious this little baby is. And, you know, this perfect little baby hasn't committed any sin. But David's saying no. Um, and God's saying no through David to, to to us too, is that even little babies born, they're so precious, so cute and beautiful, they're born into sin too. They, you know, there's a sin price tag on their head too. Verse six, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is a very personal prayer now. We started off with birth, Started off really with God's word. Now, birth, 
Um, God's word tells us we're sinners and, and, you know, we have a death sentence on our head. We're born even before, even as we're conceived, we're conceived into sin. We're born into sin. And now as we grow up, we have our heart, we have our inner conscience, our inner feelings about how we are. Even in that inward being, we know we're sinners. We know what is right. We know what is wrong. And we, we may not have God's, God's judgment in there, but, 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 we there are things that we harbor in our hearts um, that we just don't want to tell anybody. Now, whether you're a Christian or whether you're believing in God or whether you're just somebody who doesn't, you're still going to keep things in your inner heart that you don't want to tell anybody about, that you're, even your own conscience is ashamed about. And so regardless of, of, of God's wisdom in your own heart, you have this secret you keep your own inner secrets in your inward being. And even there, David's trying to get to that secret inner place that every man, every woman has this secret inner, uh, uh, deep, deep feelings that we know we've done wrong. Why? Because we don't tell anybody about it. Okay? So we even kind of convict ourselves, even if we don't have God's words and wisdom. And he's saying that I want your truth, your teaching, your wisdom, even in that inner being, in that inner place that I'm so ashamed of, that I don't want to tell anybody things about me. Because if they knew anything about me like that, nobody would be my friend. Nobody would want to be around me. And that's what he's saying. Every single one of us is rotten to the core. I guess that's another way to say it. To the core, to your core being uh, you look inside that core being of you, of me, of everybody, and we're all rotten to the core. And it's nice that we can put on nice clothes and brush our teeth and comb our hair or, you know, put our best foot forward when we go out in public and smile and shake people's hands and wish them a good day and be that good person. That's kind of what we put on ourselves. But that inner being, David's saying, is rotten to the core. And so if we want to have wisdom, if we want to be truly centered the right way, we need to be praying like David, whether we're asking for forgiveness or, or not, especially asking for forgiveness, that we want his truth, his wisdom, his being, his teaching in that core, in that inner being that we have. And then he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. And um, I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Purge me with hyssop. Now, hyssop is mentioned, I believe, about 12 times in the Bible. And it all has to do with um, sacrificing uh, things. It's a, it has cleaning purposes. Like uh, just a couple examples, Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. Take a, this is when Moses summed all the elders of Israel the night before the Passover and select the animals uh, for your families to slaughter them, to slaughter the Passover lamb. And he says, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top of both sides of the door frame. Okay. So hyssop was used, uh, in, in sacrificing. And then in Leviticus chapter 14, verse 4, the priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. This, so hyssop is, if you've ever seen hyssop, it's, it's one of those herbs 
uh, it's kind of a long, griefy, long, griefy, a long, leafy uh, plant. Um, kind of vertical, it kind of grows vertically. Um, has little leaves on it, and it can have like purple flowers at the top. If you if you Google it, you want to see what hyssop uh, looks like. Uh, people still use hyssop today uh, for its medicinal purposes. They use it. For a lot of it, they brew tea out of it. They they put it on wounds. They make things out of it. They use it for uh, anything from asthma to sore throat, meditation, congestion, urinary tract infection, muscle pain, skin abrasions. And Dr. McGee said that he had learned that hyssop is something that which even penicillin grows on hyssop. And so maybe that, you know, just penicillin is a mold. And uh, the mold can grow on hyssop. Maybe there's certain properties, chemical properties to the leaves that allow the mold to grow and, um, on it and produce penicillin. Now, of course, penicillin is something that kills bacteria. So I haven't researched that as much, but, but I think that's just another interesting little fact on hyssop. So uh, he's crying out to, you know, clean me with the hyssop so he can be clean, just like he was the sacrifice. He was a sacrifice. Um, he's offering himself. He wants to be a sacrifice, to be clean. So verse 9, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Okay, so what's he saying here? He wants a, he wants a clean heart. He wants to create a clean heart. He, he wants a lot. He doesn't want the old dirty heart again. He wants a clean heart now. He wants that to, he's asking for, please give me a new heart. Wipe it clean and renew the spirit, a right spirit within me. Interesting now we're talking about spirit. Uh, uh, verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now this is one of the uh, rare parts in the Old Testament that is talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, again, you can look at this on several levels. One, again, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord. Again, it talks about the Lord being in different forms. We talked about, you know, God being there. We talked about Jesus in the form of the angel of the Lord. You know, Jesus would come several times. We talked about in the Psalms, he would come several times. Um, and Dr. McGee's opinion is that the angel of the Lord is speaking about Jesus before he um, comes to earth in um, um, human form, that he's there as an angel of the Lord in, in that form. Uh, and then uh, here we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So, you know, the Lord, the Father, the Lord, the Savior, the Lord, the Holy Spirit is present um, even in the Old Testament, so it's it's on one level it's very it's very cool because God is this uh, all the different forms of God uh, are here because again we have a God that comes to seek us. It's not we have this isolated God that we can never get to. God is with us. God has been always with us. God is with us now, and God always will be with us. So there's that thing, but. Um, he never really goes into the Holy Spirit being like the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives to us. Um, Jesus ends up 
after he dies and saves us from our sin, then he allows us to receive the Holy Spirit as a gift, as our companion, as our helper, as his presence on earth, who now is not living in the in the in the in the tabernacle or is not living in the on an altar somewhere, you know. He's living in us. So we become the altar. We become the tabernacle. It is so cool how this happens. But David now is sort of praying uh, that he doesn't want the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, from him. Okay, because this Holy Spirit, you know, the presence of God, you know, God in the times of Moses is living on a mountain, you know, and then when the Ark of the Covenant was made, that was supposed to be the representation of God presence being with man and of course um it's only you know when when they had that they they would have it would be reserved and only people had to be clean and washed to even go in the presence of that ark of the covenant and um and then when the the temple of solomon ended up being built you know the ark of the covenant goes in there or that the, even before Solomon rebuilt the temple, but the temple before that, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be in there. And when David brings the Ark back, you know, because they lost it, now it was captured, and then David brings it back when he lifts it back up uh, to Jerusalem, as we talked about in some of the other, in an earlier psalm, uh, he restores it. But again, they put it in a place where the people, it's like the innermost place um, of the of the temple area so not everybody could even get to that presence but he's he's talking about the holy spirit's presence but it's not the same holy spirit that now we have through the gift of jesus christ we have that presence uh living in us now but it's kind of cool how from david's perspective talking about the holy spirit he still wants the presence of the holy spirit just like we should still want the presence of the holy spirit to be living in us so verses 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And again, when we're saved and we're blessed by God, the word blessing translates into joy and happiness. And again, joy and happiness is how the Psalms start off. In Psalm 1, we're talking about the happy man, the blessed man, and that being Jesus Christ himself. He's the God of all joy. So he wants to be restored in joy of salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then, uh, so David wants his, David is asking for forgiveness. David is asking for, is repentant. He has a repentant heart, a willing spirit. He wants a clean heart and a right spirit. He wants a right spirit. He wants a willing spirit in himself. And he wants to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to feel happy again. And he says, verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. This is murder. Specifically asking for forgiveness for murder. Uriah, O God, my salvation and my tongue will sing loud, aloud of your righteousness. He's asking for forgiveness, and just again a reference here that if that if if God can forgive David of murder, He can forgive anyone else of murder too. So you think to yourself, you know, I'm in jail somewhere, and I I I committed murder, and I'm there's not nobody that can I'm beyond all help. 
No, you're not. Not according to this. You've committed some sin that you say, you know what, I have messed up so bad, nobody is going to forgive me, and I don't even deserve to be forgiven. And the people, or, or maybe you're somebody's friend, and they come to you and says, you know what, I have really messed up. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against our family. I've sinned against this, that, and the other. Please forgive me. And you shake your head. You say, you know what, um, it's, it's never going to be the same. I, I'm sorry I can't forgive you. Something like that. If God can forgive David of murder and this tremendous sin of murder and adultery, and then all the other stuff that he's done, that is the ripples of this going out through his kingdom. If God forgives David, he can forgive you. He can forgive me. But again, David's heart has to be right. You've got to have the right, clean heart, a willing spirit to be upheld, you know, and whatever God has plans for you, you know, willing spirit. You know, David's not asking for his for him to remain even king. David is not saying, please forgive me so I can still be king of Israel and help everybody. He's not even asking for that. He's not asking to preserve his family. He's not asking to make Bathsheba still love him. He's not asking for his son Absalom to, to forgive him and, and love him. You know, the, he's gonna have to figure that he's gonna have to cross that bridge later. He's asking right now. For God to forgive me and really nothing else. According to God's plan. According to God's purpose. And really, he's thirsty for God's presence in his life. Because he knows he's in sin. He knows he's separated from God. And without, he's thirsty like that deer we were talking about that runs through the forest whose heart's panting because the deer's so thirsty for the, for the water. He still wants to be clean and washed, but he wants God's spirit to be with him. And uh, let's see, verse 15, Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So what's he saying? I want to I wanna worship you now, Lord. I want to sing that if, if, if you can forgive me, which I'm crying out to you for, how I long for your presence. And he's saying, I'm not going to go out and sacrifice anything right now because you're not going to delight in that. I'm not going to kill the fatted calves. I'm not going to kill the ox. I'm not going to kill a bunch of sheep or a bunch of birds. You know, that's, the, that's sort of the human version of what we ought to do, you know, using your own wisdom. Let me go out and kill some stuff and then I will all be better. No, this is way beyond. This David's going to the heart of the matter. David is saying, <clears throat> if our heart isn't right before God, none of our works matter. And again, this is sort of uh, a head nod to the, to the gospel message that nothing that we do saves us. It's, it's faith and nothing else. Of course, faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. But our heart has to be right. 
because all the sacrifices that we do are just killing animals. That's what God said in back in the last um, in in fifty in Psalm fifty. He's saying, you know, I will in verse nine. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know the birds of the hills, and I know that all that moves in the field is mine. He's saying, you know, I'm not looking for that. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So when you sin, when I sin, how do we we approach God? Well, this is a good way to approach God. But it's got to start with a broken spirit. You know, if we if we have a broken spirit before the Lord, a broken and contrite heart, a heart full of remorse, contrite, you know, a sorrowful heart, a heart full of remorse, you know. Dr. McGee's pointing out that, you know, a lot of times people say, follow your conscience, your conscience will tell you what to do, your conscience will tell you right from wrong. That's really not true. Right from wrong is God, God's words and God's wisdom. So your conscience doesn't, is, shouldn't be your guide to tell you what's right and wrong. It's God's word and God's wisdom. But after that, after you're convicted through God's words and wisdom, it's your own conscience that, that takes over and it tells you, I know I have done wrong. I know I have sinned. And that heart then helps lead your spirit, helps lead your actions, and keeps reminding you. And when you're convicted by the God, Word of God, you're not convicted by your conscience. You're convicted by the Word of God. And the place that you start from in your own heart is a broken heart, a contrite heart, a broken spirit. That's a sacrifice to God. A broken spirit. Verse 18, we'll, end it, we'll close it out here for, for the psalm. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. So when, when, when the heart is right, and you have a broken spirit, broken and contract heart, um, then you can do good to others. Zion is another name. We talked about the city of Zion yesterday in the last psalm, what it is. Uh, it has different meanings, sort of the older city of Zion, where the, the temple uh, um, uh, mount was, this Mount Zion. But it's also looking forward to this new city coming where God comes and has his throne in his presence for people. So many, many references to Zion, but there's also in between there, it re- it's, a, it's sort of another reference to the people of Israel, the people that God loves. So uh, do good to Zion. This is the people now. Do good. So again, this is a part personal prayer and a part public prayer. And this is back to sort of that uh, hope that in the public nature of all this, that Zion, the people of Israel, in your good pleasure to build up the walls of Jerusalem, to build up Zion itself, to build up God's holy city. That's our purpose and our plan is not just to be forgiven ourselves, but we forgive one another and um, try to right the wrongs 
that your own sin commits. It's like throwing a rock in a lake. The ripples of sin go out in all directions. And this is kind of a head nod to the to the people he's let down in Israel, to his own family he's let down, I think. Um, you know, build the walls back up. Build, repair the walls. Repair things. Repair the damages to the city that has been done because really the city of Zion, the people of Israel, is really uh, sort of a head nod to the New Testament talking about the body of Christ. We're all connected as believers in Christ. And when one person sins in the body of Christ, it can affect the other people. You know, it, it, it affects the body of Christ. So if you know someone is in sin, you have to, you have to carefully rebuke them. You have to carefully uh, uh, help them. And yes, uh, we are supposed to, to uh, be able to judge the body of Christ. If somebody's in sin, you have to help them. You have to let them know they're in sin and help them out of it, lest you fall into sin yourself. You know, uh, we have to be careful, like if we know somebody's in sin, to be prayerful, humble as to how we counsel them. Because we have the same sinful nature. We have, we're rotten to the core, too. But again, this is something we've talked about before. We're not, we're not supposed to judge the world. You know, that's not our job. Jesus is the only judge of the world. But in the body of Christ, the body of Christ is so important that we repair the body when parts of the body uh, are uh, in disrepair. And this is sort of a, like the walls of Jerusalem. We, we need to repair the body of Christ because that's how we are effective. We, we complete the love of the Lord when we uh, show the love of the Lord for one another. We honor Him and we complete His love. Love is the completion of the law. Christ is the completion and the fulfillment of the law through His love. And that when we, um, when we show His love to one another, we glorify Him. We complete His love because His love now is working through us. So it ends with this um, look at um, the body of Christ, um, the city of Zion, we need to repair, we need to build up the walls, and then you will delight, this is the Father, will delight in right sacrifices. In other words, this is going to bring, bring honor and glory back to, um, to, the, to the Father in heaven. So, God will delight in this. God will be pleased with this. And so then anything you do after that, whether it's a burnt offering or any works, you know, it can be a, it's sort of a, an analogy to the works, and the burnt offerings. That's all they know they could do. They're still trying to follow the law. <clears throat> but when, we, when they did that, it needs to be with a right heart. You know, don't go to church to pray and ask forgiveness when you're not right with somebody. Uh, don't go in the Old Testament to the altar to deliver all these sacrifices when something's wrong in your heart with your own family or your own people or you've got sin in your heart. You know, don't do that. And that's what David's saying. You've got to, you've got to very soberly, somberly uh, look in your own heart first, cleanse it, ask for redemption, ask for forgiveness, ask for a new clean heart with a renewed spirit, as it says in verse 10. Pray for that Holy Spirit to be with, to be your, in your presence, I mean, to come in your presence, to be restored for your salvation. Restore the salvation and be upheld 
But you've got to have your heart right before you do anything. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contract heart. So David's saying, before you try to go out and be for, after you're asking forgiveness of sin, then you have to walk, walk the walk as a forgiven person. Don't go out there feeling like you have no more joy. You know, because when you're saved, when you have salvation and you're blessed, that gives you joy. And it's not a joy that, okay, I'm forgiven, I'm automatically happy again. No, there's still sin to deal with. <clears throat> it's the ramifications of the sin. But you need a willing spirit. You need a, a spirit that's a right spirit. Um, and you need, you know, the, the, the inner places in your heart need to be washed clean. And then you need to speak um, about God's righteousness, you know, when he's talking about in verse 14. So you can be right in your heart, but then when the then you got to be right in your speech and your actions. That you have to be led by, you know, in our cases, the Holy Spirit living inside us can lead us. But in David's cases, in the Old Testament cases, they need to be led by the presence of the Holy Spirit around them and still need to be led by the, the presence of the Father in heaven. They have, to, they have to want that presence. And we have to, in the day-to-day sacrifices, now we go and we, we go to church, we go to worship, we go to the altar, we go to you know, the synagogue where they're, they're going. Um, they have to go there with a broken spirit, a, a contrite heart. We have to have our hurt right as we deal with one another. And that's the only way that we can um, bring honor to the Father. He will delight in the right sacrifices. If we, the sacrifices can be any works that we do, whether we sacrifice animals or whether we try to correct all the damage that sin has done in one's life, you know, if we do that the right way with right sacrifices or with, with we try to pick up the pieces and do good works, if we do it with the right heart, that, that actually delights the Lord when He sees that. He knows how bad we need Him. He knows we're going to fall. But when we get up with the right heart, um, whether we're burning offerings or whether we're whatever works that we're doing <clears throat> our works don't save us um, his works save us but when we when we get back up we ask for forgiveness when we ask for repentance when we are asking to be forgiven we are asking him please through your works your steadfast love um, let us be right according to your way, your purpose, that actually is a right sacrifice. That's the right, that is the right way for your heart to be when you're asking forgiveness before the Lord. And just a quick um, work um, reference back to the Psalm 50, right before this, when God's talking about Himself as a judge. That was a beautiful psalm yesterday. But remember how that one ended in Psalm 50, verses 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. 
To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Again, that last verse was the intro for this Psalm 51. What do you want to do? How do you want to uh, offer uh, thanksgiving to God? Or how do you, as your sacrifice, if you, the proper sacrifice is thanksgiving in your heart, thanksgiving for what He's done for you. If you don't have that thanksgiving, you know, you need to start when you pray with thanksgiving. That is the right response to the forgiveness of, of God. Thankfulness, thanksgiving. So it's a head nod to the right way that we should be. And again, the take-home verse for me in in uh, Psalm fifty-one was verse seventeen. The sacri- excuse me, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and trank- contrite heart. You will not despise. But again, a spirit of thanksgiving, a broken heart, a broken spirit. Those are the right ways that our hearts should be before God. A really powerful psalm. Psalm 51. I know I took a little bit longer today than I wanted to. I threw some extra stuff in, but I just felt like if we don't get this, we miss a lot. And every one of us at either today, tomorrow, or some point, anytime as time goes on, we're going to still be asking the Lord for forgiveness because we're still capable of sin. Even if we believe and trust in the Lord and His gift for us, God still, you know, we've been forgiven of our sinful nature and our sin, but we still have our sinful nature. So we're still just as dependent as a little deer that has to run through the forest to drink the water. We're still living in these little bodies. We still are prone to sin. But just as the people had to try to uh, sacrifice animals and things like that, well, we have a sacrifice that's already been sacrificed for us, and that's Jesus Christ. And that is, He has done it. We don't, when we ask for forgiveness, we don't need to say there's no way anybody can forgive me and we nullify if we if we think like that we nullify the power of Jesus on the cross so there is no sin that can't be forgiven even murder and adulterous david is this example but every time we um every time we ask for forgiveness it's not like we're recrucifying christ we don't have to put we, you know, Christ doesn't have to come back to earth every single time we sin and be re-crucified. He's already done it. So that crucifixion was enough to cover everything you've done and everything you're going to do. We're not walking on eggshells in the sense that if we fall down or if we sin again, uh, it's okay, Christ is already, uh, you know, Christ is already... Uh, um, Died for us, no big deal, you know. We just, you know, I'll just ask him to forgive me, no problem. It's not like that. And it's not like we're walking on eggshells, you know. I just believe in the Lord and I sinned again and now it's all a waste. It's not like that either. 
the the gift that the Lord gave for you, um, the lift the, the 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 gift that the Lord gave for you um, means that going forward, um, He's covered you for the rest of your days. So you're walking by grace. In faith, and you're walking by grace. So grace gives you that ability not to walk on eggshells anymore. You're under grace. But do you keep on sinning? No, of course. And we, we talked about this in the, in the New Testament. Um, like in Galatians, you, you don't keep sinning and just keep asking for forgiveness over and over. No, because David's saying that doesn't work. You've got to have a broken heart a broken spirit, a contract heart, a cleanse that you've got to be, you're rotten to the core. And in your inward being, you need His wisdom and His truth even to your core. And uh, so that's the proper response of, of your heart. And of course, the proper response is thanksgiving after that. Because if, you know, when you pray and, and you're forgiven, you need to be so thankful uh, and then everything you think and say and do after that has to be about um, um, living upright within His Spirit, and uh, it's a serious deal uh, when you're having to when you're having to deal with the sins, even the littlest sins, even the biggest sins. It's all being right with the Lord, and this is one of the things that is so important and so underemphasized sometimes today. Um, how important it is to be upright with the Lord, to have a right heart with the Lord, even in your core being. If you're going to church and Sunday school or doing things and saying hey to everybody and it's more of a social thing, but into your deeper core, you still have problems with sin or you still have problems, your heart's not right. David's saying if you're rotten to the core, God's not going to be pleased. It's a waste of time. It's worthless. And in Psalm 50, God is even saying, I don't even accept your, your sacrifices. I don't accept any of that. If you're rotten to the core on the inside, if your heart's not right, you know, I don't need these animals. I made these animals. I don't need these little works of yours like you want to do good works and invest money and build a building uh, with a missionary group. I build the mountains. I build the heavens. I build everything better than you. I don't need your stuff. You know, so what God does want from us is a correct heart. Even that inner being inside you that's rotten to the core, God needs to be there too. God's wisdom there, His truth needs to be there. Even in the place in your heart where you're so embarrassed you wouldn't have not even tell the soul how bad you are to the core. God needs to be there. So this was a very, uh, it's about as one of the strongest psalms as you can get. Um, there's so many ways you can talk about it. There's so many ways that this can touch you and instruct you and lead you. And of course, that's what David's saying in verse 13. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You know, his very public psalm uh, is right here for us to see the proper response to, to God. I hope this was helpful and encouraging to you. And for me, I'll turn this over to Matali. I hope you're well, Matali. And um, for me, uh, to each of you, God bless you, and I'll see you next time. Hi. Today's teaching is coming from Psalms 52 through to 55. 
this is a cluster of psalms that belong together, and um, they're masculine psalms. Um, these are psalms of instruction. So these psalms um, look at the time of the Great Tribulation, the time of um, the coming of the Antichrist. That's um, the men of sin. So my main take from today's teaching is um, the Great Tribulation is coming and um, we can see the signs of it because um, scripture in these particular Psalms has um, stated that you know, brother will betray brother, men will be lovers of um, vanity and money. Um, this is where you find today the people who are at the helm of power who are actually um, ruling are the rich um, because it's so easy for a rich man to get into power, to get elected, even if they're not morally upright. And, um, you know, these are wicked people who get by with so much stuff and um, who oppress um, the poor. So Psalms 52 um, this is to the chief musician, a contemplation of David when Doeg of Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Amalek. So, um, you know, we have a lot of Doegs today. You know, Doeg is, uh, he was one of um, David's most trusted um, brothers, and um, he went and betrayed him to the wicked King Saul. So it reads, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? So mighty man is, um, this is a man of sin. The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor. Um, working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteously, Selah. So today you do find, um, you know, people would rather just tell a lie, even if um, telling the truth would be easier. And it's the norm of the day. No one actually frowns upon it. So um, man in the world boasts about his sin, Um so, you know, as Christians, you know, as, as as children of God, we ought to be ashamed of our sins. I mean, that's that's um that's that's being um um that's just being just having humility and um being um being um an upright uh, Christian instead of uh, going around boasting like, oh, hey, I, I, I get by with this. Um, I managed to, to con people and, um, you know, come across this amount of wealth. Um, and today it's the order of the day. People just get by. Um, so going on to verse 4, it reads, You love all devouring words you deceit." Use deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away from you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. 
so um god will take vengeance you know um as christians today you know hand over our enemies to the lord and let the lord deal with them um verse 7 here is the man who did not make god his strength but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wicked way in his wickedness but i am like a green olive tree in the house of god i trust in the mercy of god forever and ever i will praise you forever because you have done it and in the presence of your saints i will wait on your name for its good um whatever we have whatever we put our strength in on earth if it's not god we will die and it will remain so um god will beat the sinners and the wicked down only god can stop um can stop the sinners so let's hand over our, all our enemies to god um, and you know all these sinners and mockers will be the laughing stock the biggest laughing stock when um um, upon Christ's second return, when um, after the great tribulation, um, when judgment day comes, um, so verse um, fifty, chapter fifty-three is um, to the chief musician said to Mahalath, a contemplation of David. So. Um, um, this particular psalm is also looking at um, the Antichrist, who is um, an atheist, and it's, um, it's it corresponds with uh, the mournful conditions of the Antichrist. Um, it marks the, the Antichrist denying God and his um, son. So it reads, um, The foolish has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquities. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, um, who seek God. Um, everyone of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and they do not call upon God. Um, there, there are, there they are in great fear where no fear was for God has scattered the bones of him who encompasses against you. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out when God brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. So um, the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion and um, God will... Judgment day is coming and um, God will come down and judge and um, he will plaque out um, the ungodly because um, they are corrupt and you know they have let uh, the riches and the money that they have here on earth which is not permanent get to their heads and they say there is no God which is just sad because um, you know like you eliminate creation how did you actually um, 
come to being without a creator, without you believing that there's a creator. Verse 54 reads, The chief musician uh, with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, Is David not hiding with us? So today, you know, we do find a lot of Doegs and Ziphites, which is um, really sad where brother turns against brother. Um, the end times are, the end times are here. The end times are coming, and they're here. And it reads, "Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give me ear and words of my mouth, for strangers have risen up against me, and oppressed me, sought after my life, and they have not set God for them. Behold, God is my helper." The Lord is with those who uphold my life. So here, um, David is, it's a cry of faith um, in the midst of all the trials and tribulations. Um, David has felt like um, really, really betrayed. And um, in the end days, um, it, it is written in Psalms, uh, in First Samuel 23 verse 19, Brother will betray brother. And um, that's where we'll, these are the signs of, um, of the end times. And um, let's look up to the Lord and, and, and look up to him as our savior, our Lord and personal savior. Verse 55 um, is a masculine psalm, psalm of instruction. Um, it's a time of uh, tribulation at its deadliest tribulation at its deadliest time so this is um, to the chief musician with stringed instrument a contemplation of David um, so David um, has David was betrayed by Hithophel, um and David is crying to the Lord um, Hithophel was one of um, David's closest um, companions and um, it reads I would just pick out a few Highlights here. Um, give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless, restless in my complaint, and moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for the for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. So um, David is crying to the Lord to give ear to him. And trust me, our God is a hearing God. God um, does not. God fights our battles. He will not leave us nor forsake us. For Scripture is written that that way. If we just trust in Him, and um, you know, just we seek His face, and you know, you know, be still and let God. So. Um, the world, this world we're currently living in, will be betrayed by the Antichrist because of people's love for vanity and money and worldly things. Um, and, um, you know, there'll be so much lawlessness and um, so much belief in um, vanity and, and money and power. Um, I mean, hey, even the Beatles believed they were more popular than Jesus. But um, guess what? Our Redeemer lives. Um, he came and he he came down to earth and he resurrected. He defied gravity and he woke up from the dead and he 
resurrected. So um, <clears throat> let us turn to God. Um, and let us turn our enemies um, to the Lord. Verse 22 reads, Cast your burden unto the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Scripture is has stated this, and let us cast all our burdens to the Lord. And um, the Lord will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. Let us keep trusting in the Lord. Verse 23 reads, But you, O Lord, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. So let's keep trusting in the Lord. The end times are near. Brother is betraying brother. Um, people now are, are focusing on um, less on the Lord and more on um, vanity and things around them that are that will not save them. So um, yes, today that was um, today's teaching, and um, thank you for listening in. God bless and bye bye. I'm not going to